here today, I invite you to open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 with me. Matthew chapter 13. In our current season and series, we're aiming to purposefully set our minds on things above. That is heavenly things. And really, um, there's not a lot of uh, things that I want you to do coming out of this message. It's, it's about things that we're, we're thinking, you know, getting our minds biblically oriented and, and, and getting our the eyes of our hearts on things above. You know, the more we observe something and look at it with thoughtfulness, the more we contemplate and focus on things, the more detail and depth and nuance we notice about things. And so it's so good for us to take time together to study the Word and let God teach us and to get our minds oriented towards heavenly things. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives a series of teachings, primarily through parables, about several things, but notably about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so we're going to look today at the first of those kingdom of heaven parables, thinking about what is the kingdom of heaven and what is it like. So we're going to find that primarily from the parable of the wheat and the tares. And that's found in Matthew 13, beginning in verses 24 through 30. Now let me give you some uh, landmarks. Let me give you a roadmap to today's message. We've got four major moves that we're going to do here. First of all, we're going to get an orientation to the kingdom of heaven. Second of all, we're going to see the illustration about the kingdom of heaven. Then we're going to hear Jesus' explanation of how that parable and what it tells us about the kingdom of heaven. And then we're going to seek to apply or get application. Orientation, illustration, explanation, and application. So that's the four big moves. Let's begin by reading Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30 as we go to God's Word together. It says, Jesus presented another parable to them. So he's just given the parable of the sowers and explained that. So he gives them another parable to his disciples saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and to gather them up? But he said to them, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. So orientation. This parable is about something that Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven. And I don't hear many Christians talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. We talk a lot about heaven. We talk a lot about God. We talk a lot about the gospel. But you don't really hear much from Christians about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And I want to tell you that it's central to the teaching of Jesus. 
You find it throughout the Gospels. You find it also in the New Testament letters that the disciples of Jesus understood well this teaching about something that Jesus calls the kingdom. Matthew especially keys in on the kingdom of heaven. Luke, a little more on the kingdom of God. Are those two different things? No, I believe they're the same thing. You know, one of the first things we learned when we started on this series was that when we think about heaven, one of the first things we should think about is heaven is the place where God dwells. So when you think about heaven, instead of going first to the pearly gates and the streets of gold and, and our dearly departed loved ones, we should first and foremost think about ah, heaven is the place where God dwells in a special way and where He reigns. Okay, so the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, I believe they're the same things. You know, the Jewish people, Matthew was writing primarily to a Jewish audience. The Jewish people were very reverent. They almost didn't even want to say the name of God. And so this is a, a little thing that scholars sometimes call circumlocution. It is, instead of saying the kingdom of God, let's say the kingdom of heaven. So because we revere the name of God and we don't want to say that as much. And so the kingdom of heaven. But we're talking about the place and the realm where God reigns. It is not wrong to think about heaven as the place where Christians go in the afterlife. In fact, we talked about that last week. But that is not the fullest understanding of heaven. In fact, I would argue that when we talk about heaven, we should first and foremost get a really broad vision and zoom out and think about heaven as belonging to the kingdom of heaven. And then we'll be on our way to a fuller understanding of all that the Bible teaches about God's dwelling and His rule and His reign. Let me define for you the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven very shortly. Here it is. It's the realm where God reigns. It's the realm or the places where God reigns. And so Jesus can say this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand when He comes to the earth. And he's opening the door for people to enter into the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven even is located in your heart. And that's true. The kingdom of heaven comes in and it changes us. And it makes us citizens of the kingdom of heaven when we're saved. But also we can back out and say the kingdom of heaven also is more than just the individual. It is the corporate people of Jesus. And there is an end times viewpoint of the kingdom of heaven, and that is to say that the kingdom of heaven is going to come in fullness one day in the end times. And so I think it's an error to only associate heaven with the place out there or up there, but rather we should think about this entire kingdom where God is reigning. Okay, so a little orientation to what Jesus is talking about, because this is important. This is what he says is the theme of this parable, and the next parable, and the next, and the next. And the next, the kingdom of heaven. So we want to be sure that we understand what Jesus is talking about and explaining in this passage. So now let's see the illustration. Let's see the parable that Jesus says is going to help us to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. So I just read it. I just read the illustration. It's going to give the disciples this, this orientation and this basic Framing of the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at the main parts of this parable that Jesus taught. First of all, there are two characters, two main characters anyway. There is a landowner who's a farmer and he's sowing his seed. Okay? 
A man sowing good seed in his field. Why do you sow good seed in your field? Because you want to harvest a crop. You want that seed that you planted to multiply. To make much, much more of that same thing. So there is this man who is a landowner and he is planting good seed in his field because he wants a harvest. It's kind of a no-brainer. That's why you plant seeds. You want fruit. You want good things to be produced. But there's another character. There's that landowner's enemy. And what does he do? He is also a seed planter. It's that he comes in when the landowner's men are sleeping and he also sows into the landowner's but he sows tares. That is weed seed, not wheat seed. He's sowing weeds. You know what? Just stop and think about this for just a minute. Many of you have planted gardens. Wouldn't it baffle you if your neighbor found out that you had planted a garden and they said, you know what we ought to do? Let's gather up a bunch of cockleburr seed and a bunch of crabgrass seed, and let's go get a bunch of Bermuda grass bricks, and while they're sleeping, wouldn't it be fun if we just go and plant that in their garden? I can tell you, not fun. Not fun for you, not fun for the gardener. It's, it's actually amazing to think about someone so mean, so evil, so vindictive, that they would take that much time to do something like that. And yet, this kind of thing happens in our world all the time. People that will spend their time and energy and resources thinking up mean and evil and wicked things to do to others. I was telling someone the other day, I was hearing the story about some, some uh, stealing that had gone on. And the plan and the concoction that these people had come up with to rob someone. I was like, if they would just get a job and spend half that much time and energy at working, they could probably gain much more than what they got from stealing. It's amazing to think about this kind of evil, and yet there is this enemy of the landowner who goes and he does this. He plants the tares and the weed seed. So there are two characters. There are two different crops. There is the wheat. That's a good thing. It's something that produces grain so that we can have bread, so that we can have food produces food. There is this other crop seed. Most scholars say that understand the times and the place and say, well, it's a, a crop called darnel. It looked a lot like wheat in the vegetative stage, that is, the, 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 the leaves, and the plant looked almost just like the good crop. But when it came time for it to set ahead, darnel didn't produce anything that was worth anything. It didn't produce anything that you could eat or use and so the question is, so, so here's the other characters in the story. It's the, the, the landowner's servants. They come in and they're going, hey, uh, boss, uh, I don't know if you've looked out your field lately, but it's not all wheat because the wheat has begun to sit ahead. And they said, there, there's wheat seed. Did you not spring for the good seed? You know, good seed is measured by two main things. Number one, will it germinate? And number two, how much trash is there in it? Why didn't you buy the good stuff so we wouldn't have all of these weeds in the crop? Didn't you buy good seed? He says, you're in error. <coughs> We're going to get to that. But yes, he planted good seed. He's going to explain why the other weed seed is there. And then there are two cultivation strategies. Two main characters, two main crops, two main cultivation strategies. So the servants come in and they say, so we've determined that there are these weeds, these tares, in your crop. Do you want us now to go in and start jerking that stuff up? 
out of the crop. So it's clean when it comes harvest time. That's one cultivation strategy, one growing strategy. But the wise farmer says this. He says, no, no, no. Because if you do that, you're going to disturb the good plants. And in fact, when you jerk this one out, you're going to jerk that one out. You're going to reduce the harvest. So what we need to do is we need to wait and just let them grow side by side. That is the best strategy. And then when it comes to the harvest, we'll separate out and we'll deal with it. So that is the story. That is the illustration. That is the parable that Jesus told, trying to teach his disciples of the kingdom of heaven is like. Did y'all get it? Well, let's be dismissed. That's easy enough to, to uh, figure this out, right? Well, no, it's not really that easy. The beauty of this thing is that Jesus now, well, actually the disciples, he tells two more parables, and the disciples, and they're scratching their head, and they go, uh, you're going to have to explain that one to us. You're going to have to give us the commentary, Jesus. We need an explanation about how that story is supposed to teach us about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so Jesus then, in verses 36 through 43, gives an explanation of the illustration about the kingdom of heaven. Let's read that together now. That's in uh, Matthew 13, verses 36 through 43. Then he left the crowds, and he went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So the explanation that Jesus now gives about this fascinating, interesting parable. You know, many of Jesus' parables, we are not given something like this, an explanation. So I'm very thankful because my mind can do all kinds of things with that parable. But Jesus gives us an interpretive grid. But I will tell you that even though he gave an explanation, it's fascinating. You should, you should Google the parable of the wheat and tares. And just look at how many different directions people take this parable. It, it's astounding. Some people say it's about the timing of the rapture. Some people think it's a, a, a story about how we're to do church discipline or when there's evil in the church. All kinds of ways that people take it. Let me give you real quick, very quickly, here you go, free information for you. Three rules for interpreting parables. Number one, look around and see if Jesus or the Bible explains it further. Before you go any further and try to explain it, we go, oh, well, Jesus explained it. So it would be easy to miss because it doesn't come in the very next verses. So look around, look in the other Gospels and see if it's given a clearer explanation. Number two, look for the context or, or the clues. So, so it would be easy to miss the fact that Jesus is teaching us about what the kingdom of heaven is like. But he gives us that orientation. And in fact, there are, I think it's five parables in a row, specifically 
in Matthew 13 about the kingdom of heaven. I think it's five. Don't hold me to that. But, but so what you should do is say, well, he's teaching us a bunch of things about the kingdom of heaven, and I probably should read all of them. I can't preach all of these in one sermon. You're welcome. And, and, but you should read them together and take it as a corpus or as a whole and say, what are all of these things? If I try to put them together and let them inform one another. No, here's the other thing. Make sure that your interpretation doesn't conflict with something that's clearly taught otherwise elsewhere in the Bible. That's pretty important. But here's the last one. Keep it about the main things. Keep it about the main things. So in Jesus' explanation, He interprets certain elements of the story, but certain ones He doesn't. And so don't reach too far, try to zoom out and say, what is the big thing that seems pretty clear in what Jesus is teaching us? So let's hear what Jesus says about these main parts of the parable. The sower of seeds, that is the landowner. Who is it? Let's get y'all involved. Well, it says the Son of Man, but we know that to be Jesus, right? That's, that's one of Jesus' favorite titles. He picks it up from the book of Daniel. The sower, the landowner, the guy who owns the field is Jesus. He said, that, that's who it is. Here's a little application for you before we get to the section on application. If you are of good seed, if you belong to the kingdom, you only belong to the kingdom, not because of any innate goodness in you, but because you have come to the hands of Jesus. The one who's sowing these seeds is Jesus. The sons and daughters of the kingdom are those who have come to Jesus and been changed and remade by Him. And have been put out and commissioned and empowered for good purposes. Alright? So Jesus, He is the farmer. The Son of Man. So, you know who that is. And where is this field? What is this field? Okay, alright. It's not the human heart. It's not the church. It's not uh, just specifically something out in the end times. He gives us a helpful framework. He says, the field I'm talking about is the world. It's the world. I, we can call that planet Earth, can't we? It's, it's this place where we live. He said, it's the world. You know, this is interesting because one of, one of the things that when we think about heaven, we always get otherworldly. But the Bible says, and this is a key, central piece of the storyline of the Bible. Yes, God is in heaven. There are the heavens. But God created this world and this earth. And He put Adam and Eve on this earth to be His stewards and to spread His kingship. That plan got aborted. And things went horribly wrong. Jesus came back to reclaim this world. This world. For the kingdom of heaven. And to spread the kingdom of heaven on earth. In fact, Jesus taught us to pray that God's will be done, that God's kingdom would come here. Don't just think about it there, but think about it. God wants and is working to spread the kingdom of heaven and His rule and His reign in this world. Alright? So what are the seeds? Let's start with the wheat seeds. What is that? Y'all can speed this thing along. God. <laughs> what? What does it say? Sons. Sons of the kingdom. That is those who belong to Jesus. That is believers. Alright? Sons of the kingdom. That's disciples of Jesus. Who are the tares? Or what are the tares? The, the weed seed. The sons of the evil one. 
Who is the evil one? Satan. Satan or the devil. He, he spells it out. He tells us when all of these things are, hey, let's stop right here and say there are there is an evil one that is the devil. And there are sons of the evil one. It would be very foolish for us to neglect the teaching in the Bible. That Satan, God's enemy, and those who follow in his path and in his ways oppose God and everything that belongs to God and opposes his word. We have an evil one that is against God and therefore those who follow God, he's against us. And he longs to bring destruction and discouragement and confusion and discord and brokenness and to multiply that. That which is not good. When God's intent is to multiply the things that belong to the kingdom. So Jesus makes it abundantly clear that there is an enemy at work. And then there is the harvest and the harvesters. What is the harvest? Is it the rapture? He tells it here. He says, you know, the harvest is the end of the age. It's, it's that day that comes. In fact, we talked about this about a month ago. There's this age. There's the end of the age. And there is the age to come. That is the kingdom age. And Jesus says the harvest is when this age in, ends. And God ushers in His kingdom and fullness. Who are the harvesters? Angels. We talked about that last week. And uh, what are the harvest activities? Now here is where God brings about His plan. To deal with the tares that are intermingled with the wheat. So they're going to send angels. And does he say that the angels are going to pluck out the believers and take them to heaven? No, it doesn't say that. Actually, it says the opposite. The angels, the reapers, he said, are going to remove those who are lawless and those who are stumbling blocks. That is, those that don't belong to Jesus. And so what is portrayed here is not believers being lifted out of this world to be ushered up to a spiritual heavenly kingdom up there. Now, let me stop right here. I'm not saying there's no rapture. I've been picking on the rapture a little bit. I'm not saying there's not one. Just letting the parable speak for itself. What Jesus says is that at the harvest, actually, what is harvested, and who is harvested, are the tares. The sons of the evil one. And they are bound together, thrown in a fiery furnace. And then the righteous will shine forth in the kingdom of heaven. You know, here's an interesting passage for you. Revelation 11, 15. One verse that says this. It's a picture of what's going to happen in the end. And it says, The kingdom of this world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. I would tell you that the big storyline is not that God is trashing this world and ushering us up somewhere in heaven. Now, there is a heaven. We looked at that last week after this life. But in the end, the picture is that actually the kingdom of heaven overwhelms and overcomes and takes over and is all that there is to what was formerly largely influenced by Satan. So the kingdom of this world has now become the kingdom of heaven. So there you go. There is Jesus' explanation. And I think then it leaves us to go ahead and try to make some application about this 
in the parable. Now, this is not all there would be to say. And I, I think that one of the good things that you need to learn to do, and I need to practice, is when we hear a sermon, when we read a Bible passage, is to meditate on it. And let the Lord minister it to us in our hearts and speak to us through His Word. And here are some things that I feel like the Lord showed me through this passage. I think they flow from it naturally. I'm going to give you six ways of thinking. I'm going to do it quickly. Don't get bent out of shape. You're like, that's ten points today. <laughs> hey, six ways of thinking that I think are corrected by this parable and by Jesus teaching. The first is what I would call escapism. Spiritual escapism. It's a brand of Christianity that says, you know what, I don't really care what happens in this world because I'm going to heaven. Now, Jesus, the Son of Man, plants good seed in the field of this world. Why? To produce a good crop. To bear fruit. It's all over the teachings of Jesus. And that salvation is in part about producing God-glorifying good works. And so we need not forget, we must not forget that God has us here if we are saved and redeemed people to do good things. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 that talks about our salvation. We're not saved by our good works, but it's amazingly it says we're saved for good works. In other words, that's part of the purpose of salvation is to do good things, to spread the glory and the kingdom of heaven and of God on this world, in this world. All right? The parable of the mustard seed and of the yeast and the flour that intervened, it's right in between the Jesus telling of this parable and explaining of it. Give a little further about that. That hey, good works, man, it seems insignificant and small, but it grows. And it makes an impact, just like a little leaven can leaven an entire sack of flour. So the work of the Christian, God working through us, makes a huge difference. So we need to avoid spiritual escapism. I think another way of thinking that it corrects is what I would call an unrealistic idealism. Or just when you just say idealism. I tend towards this mistake. To think that because God has saved us, given us His Spirit, and is all-powerful, and He has His church, that I will never experience temptation. That we will never see evil things. Hey, listen. The evil one is at work everywhere in the world. In our homes schools and organizations in the church, outside the church, you will see evil seated everywhere. So we need to guard against an idealism that forgets that. And it gets overly discouraged when we see that. You don't have to look at very many headlines to see a lot of evil stuff going on under the name, under the guise of Christianity in the church today. And I'll tell you, it can make you very cynical. It can make you just want to forget it all. So we need to guard against an idealism. Uh, how about a judgmentalism? An impatient judgmentalism. It seems to be one of the things that the wise landowner teaches his servants. He says, look, let's not get too hasty. There's a day for that. There's a day for uprooting and tearing up, and it's coming. But be patient. Be patient. God is not slow. He has not forgotten that God is patient in bringing about His judgment. Why? So that more would repent. And in the church, I think that we're prone to give up on people. We would look at some actions and some things in people's lives and go, given over to the evil one. Rain down the fire, Lord. 
Let's jerk them out, pluck them up, and burn them up. And then we need to remember God's patience and mercy and grace towards us. And how we once too were dead in our sins and transgressions. But we've been made alive in Christ. When you come to Christ, and you come to the hands of Jesus, and He does a transforming work, and actually changes us from a weed to a weed seed. Have you given up on someone in your life? Are there people that are so far gone that they are beyond the redeeming power and touch of Jesus? Just beware of a hasty, impatient judgmentalism. Alright? Don't take judgment out of the Lord's hands. Save it for the Lord. He'll bring His judgment. Now, here's another one. Here's a good word for you. Syncretism. Syncretism is where we have Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, and we start accommodating the culture and bringing in and accepting that which does not belong. It does not fit. It is the antithesis of what Christianity is all, all about. It's accommodating everything in the field and saying, you know what? Oh, gosh. You know, terrors aren't so bad after all. I bet we can feed them to the goats. Maybe we can make something good out of the tares. You know, God made tear seed just like He made wheat seed. I mean, I mean, if God made it, it must be good. right? If, if we're seeing this, it must be okay. Syncretism is trying to make the tares something profitable and productive when the Master says they are weeds and they are not helpful and they do not have a place in the kingdom of heaven. And there's coming a day when I will bind them all up and burn them up. And I'll tell you, I think that we're in a day and time when our culture and churches are butting heads with this mistake. And that is to try to accommodate sin and say that it's alright. We're trying to accommodate the culture that is lost. I read an article just yesterday about uh, you know someone that the, the, it was in a Christian college think of what the line the young lady said. Basically said, you know, I want to bring my sin, she wouldn't call it sin, right alongside my relationship with God. God made me this way. That kind of thing. And there's a lot of people trying to accommodate a lot of kind of things under the guise of Christianity. We need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of that. What that young lady's statement forgets is this teaching. That there are things that do not belong in the kingdom of heaven. They belong to the kingdom of the enemy. That is the work of the enemy. So let's beware of bringing in things and okaying things that don't belong. Just because God has not judged something yet does not mean that He has okayed it. So we need to get that one. Actually, I said I got six. You're in relief. I got five. the last one. Last wrong way of thinking. I called it theological liberalism. I didn't know what else to call it here. I was sticking with my isms. So I talked about liberalism. And, and I think that what I'm talking about there is this idea that we can have heaven, but there is no hell. It's idea, I like the teaching in the Bible about going to heaven about the kingdom of heaven, about being good and doing good works. I like all that. I like Jesus for the most part. 
I think a lot of the people say, you know, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I like Jesus and His teaching. He's prophetic, man. He's beautiful. He's gracious. But I don't like judgmental Christians. I don't think they've read this passage right here where Jesus talks about the binding up of the tares. And in the day of the judgment, it is the Son of Man and it is Jesus who commissions the angels to bind up the tares, the worthless things of the world, and to burn them up. Theological liberalism wants to keep all the good, get rid of all the uncomfortable. But you know what? The Bible actually teaches that heaven would not be heaven with wickedness abounding there. And as the kingdom of heaven spreads, it is very clear in this passage, look at uh, where we at. Let's look at um, in verse 43. The end goal of the kingdom of heaven is that the righteous would shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. In other words, the kingdom of heaven, there is no place for rebellion against God and wickedness and unrighteousness. For heaven to come, for the kingdom of heaven to spread, there has to be a separation. I tell you, you would not want to be in an eternal place where wickedness continues to abound. It would not be heaven. And the Bible holds these two truths up together. As God brings about His perfect reign and righteousness, it demands that wickedness and all things that oppose His reign be cast out. So, can't have the kingdom of heaven with an enemy and sons of the evil ones who continue to oppose the things of God. And this parable makes very clear that there is coming a day at the end of this age when God will exact perfect judgment. And listen, Jesus doesn't seem very embarrassed by that here. I don't think he's happy about it in the sense of, we're going to destroy the unrighteous. But it's necessary. And He teaches that. And we need to get that. We need to understand that there is a coming day of judgment in order for the kingdom of God to take final root. And He says, and then all of the wheat will be gathered. It will be harvested. That is, the sons of the kingdom and the daughters of the kingdom will be gathered up and brought into my barn. You know what His barn is? It's the new heavens and the new earth. It's the kingdom of heaven. And I think the picture is, hey, you want some end time stuff. The picture is that the spiritual heaven that we think about. We looked at last week about Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. They come together and then there is this union or fusion, if you will. And Revelation talks about the new heaven and new earth. It's a remade world and it's heaven come down and brought together. The kingdom of heaven now comes to the kingdom of this world. But it's actually a beautiful picture. Though it's startling and stark, this idea of burning judgment, it's necessary for the kingdom of heaven to take hold and to rule and to reign. And the righteous will shine fear like the sun. 
It will be an amazing place where only what is good and holy and beautiful and true will be. And Jesus finishes the parable like this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a call to action. It's a call to those who are privileged to catch this glimpse of the kingdom of heaven and to know that Jesus wants to take us and remake us into something fit for eternity. He says, do you have ears to hear? Listen and respond. Every person that is here today and every person that will ever be belongs in one of two hands. You are a citizen of one of two kingdoms. The kingdom of heaven. God is the ruler. He's the king. Or the kingdom of this world. It is currently under the dominion of Satan. It is a kingdom of rebellion that lacks authority where sin and wickedness and darkness abound. Which one do you belong to? The invitation of Jesus is to come to me. I'll remake you. He makes all things new. Would you bow with me today? I just want to have a brief time of invitation. A brief time of response where we just have the space to think about. Do I belong to Jesus? Have I come to His hands like the clay to the potter? And my sins forgiven, been made into something fit for heaven, eternally changed, changed in my very essence and identity, in my heart, to the Lordship of Christ. Have you done that? Have you been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? If you've never done that, the way that you do that is to do business with God in these moments. To admit your sin, to Him and to yourself. To admit the evil and the wickedness that has come before. Realize that Jesus has taken your punishment. He's paid the wrath of God on Calvary's cross and invite you to come to Him to receive new life. And to do that, you turn from your old way. Place your faith, your life, and you're all in the hands of a loving Savior named Jesus. And you tell Him that you want Him to be Lord of your life. If that's you today, right where you sit, do that. Transfer it into the kingdom of life and receive eternal life. I'm going to pray for you and I want to invite you, if you've done that, would you come to me after the service and just let me know, let me talk with you about that. So important that we do that. That you get things made right with God. For no man knows the hour. The day when this age ends. When the door of opportunity shuts. And our eternity is Father, help us today to take seriously these things that Jesus taught, things that we've heard, things that we've read. Let us order our lives according to them. As Christians, help us to live with 
with an expanded vision that comprehends both the evil in this world but also the kingdom of heaven as it were. Help us to be patient. Help us to not be overcome by evil, but to continue to stand in an evil day and to seek by your power to overcome evil with good. Being reflections of your kingdom. Help us in this day to shine forth in righteousness as we anticipate doing that forever at your right hand in your eternal glorious presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name.